Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is managing editor James Kleiman to wrap up the news of the week, which includes the latest efforts to increase the use of assumable mortgages and the job prospects for real estate and mortgage professionals. As always, I want to give a shout out to Truve, our podcast sponsor. James, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, good to be back. Great to have you on, man. Every week I'm like, we have so much to talk about. You guys are covering a ton of things. Um, the, the first one I'd like to talk about is the assumable mortgage, which you know has, has come back into popularity apparently. Well, it's relative popularity. So let's let's kind of break this one down. I think a lot of people, given the current housing environment, are looking for a silver bullet. They're looking to figure out how do we get affordability, either prices fall down or mortgage rates drop, and it doesn't exist. So I think a lot of people are interested in the assumable mortgage because it has theoretically so much promise, right? It's you have a mortgage at 3.1%. And if I were to go as a home buyer and try to obtain a mortgage right now, I'd be looking probably closer to what, 7% today, give or take, right? Depending on how many points I buy, how how far lower I can get below par. But let's say it's around 7%. That's a huge, huge gulf. And so people out there rightfully are thinking, well, why don't you just take my mortgage and we'll factor that into the price. So I make out, you have the long-term stability of a low mortgage rate. And I've already probably been paying this off for a couple of years. So that reduces the interest payments, right? And why not do this, right? This seems like a win, 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 win. And to some extent, it, it has been a bit of a win. But let's think about the, the bigger picture here. So in 2023, there were only about 6,400 assumable mortgages. That's it. That's not a lot. No, it's not. There are mortgage companies in America that probably do that every day in, you know, through, through a variety of loan products. And that's double where it was in 2022 is, you know, roughly around 3000 assumable mortgages that were originated. And there's so much red tape. There are so many complicating factors that make it a really difficult product. There are a couple folks out there who have done it. Uh, Stephen Cooley, who is a friend of Housing Wires, he wrote a story for us about a year ago about his experience getting an assumable mortgage and all the hoops he had to jump through. And ultimately, it was it was a good situation for him. But there's a reason we don't see many of these products uh, actually occurring. And and so beyond just the red tape. We have to consider that most borrowers simply can't afford to assume a mortgage. And, and if you think about, you know, the, just the amount of cash that a buyer has to come up with to cover the difference between a home sale price and the amount that remains on that mortgage, we're talking easily hundreds of thousands of dollars in a lot of cases. And because of the fact that the only eligible loans are from the FHA and the VA, 
those are typically not the best resourced buyers. So big disadvantage there, right? And then you have just the everyday um, kind of policy decisions that have not really caught up to the promise of these products. And so if you think about the perspective of the existing servicer, let's say it's servicer JMK Mortgage, and they're looking at the math here, they're thinking, wait a second, I can only charge a couple hundred dollars a piece for completing the assumption. If I were to write a new mortgage, I'd be making a couple thousand dollars, right? It's just, you know, it's often less than the cost of even processing the assumption. It just doesn't make sense for them. And so a lot of them try to discourage it, even if the paperwork in the mortgage permits the seller to uh, transfer the, the mortgage over to the buyer. And so it's it's a really tough marketplace. I wish that HUD would get on this. I really do think there are a lot of people in situations now who would be hugely advantaged um, by being able to utilize this product, not even just on the buy side, right? We need inventory and hopefully, you know, think about how many people have VA loans or FHA loans and are thinking, I have a 3.1% mortgage rate. Why on earth would I sell when I have to buy in the sixes or sevens and I'm paying PMI on it, right? I'm, you know, it's just like this, just the math doesn't math. Um, so I think this is one way that really the government, there, there are not a whole lot of things that the government could do. Um, but this to me is a relatively easy. And when I say easy, you know, there comes with an asterisk, right? Like mortgage policy is always a little complicated and we haven't even discussed the, the investor side of it, right? You know, packaging, these loans as Gini securities that, that would complicate things somewhat, but I think it's achievable, but there just doesn't seem to be a whole lot going on on the government level um, where, where they're actually trying to, to change the policy. And we know that the MBA asked the FHA and the VA, because it was like late in 2022 to raise the cap on assumption fees. And so instead of it being just a couple hundred dollars, maybe it's $3,500, right? And that would more fairly compensate the uh, the service for the work, but those caps have not changed. I mean, you have to figure out a way to incentivize the industry. Otherwise, these are already hard to do. So you're already, you know, you're already taking time to do it. If you're not making any money, in fact, maybe even losing money, like you can only, even if you want to do that, even if that's your, your part of your mission, you're only going to be able to do that a couple of times a year. In this environment, especially, it's like, oh, I know, let's spend more resources, make less money. Um, yeah, let's do that. I mean, well, you know, so it, it, and in the end, you're not serving the very people that everybody in government is looking at and people in industry want to help too, right? Is that those FHA, VA borrowers. And so there seems like there has to be some sort of, um, not has to be, but should be some way to, to make this better because that is a way to get them in. And, you know, we see the government trying to do a lot of other things on the edges, right? To, you know, a thousand dollars here, a thousand dollars there. So it, it feels like this is a great place to to jump in. Yeah. It, it's funny because the government does seem to put their thumb on the scale in some areas, but I think, again, I, I don't want to say that this is an easy policy change that could be done tomorrow and suddenly we open up inventory by 10, 15%. I'm not suggesting that it's that simple, but I do think it is achievable if you take all of the stakeholders and say, how does this math look like if you're a servicer, right? 
how does it work if you're on the investor side? You know, we'll talk to some capital markets, secondary folks, right? How does it work if you're actually one of the people who has an assumable mortgage? Does that change the calculus from you saying, you know what, I just don't think that I would sell in the next five, 10 years knowing that I have this 3% mortgage, you know, but maybe you do want to buy something different. Maybe you don't pursue a job opportunity because you have this set up and, you know, for whatever reason, it, it just, it doesn't make sense for you to leave it, right? You have to provide more options and you have to incentivize the market forces to do it. And the government has so much more power to make changes to the FHA and VA programs than they would with Fannie and Freddie and dealing with Congress in a lot of respects, right? I mean, you can do so much more, so much more quickly through HUD, um, but it, it just doesn't seem to be an imperative. And I think it's disappointing. I think so too. So that uh, the story that we wrote up there, it does mention a new startup that's trying to help in this space. Uh, tell us a little bit about Rome. So Rome, yeah. Rome is a pretty interesting startup. It's essentially a platform that exists to facilitate transactions with an assumable mortgage. And so they want to help the buyers and the sellers discover and advertise the home listings attached to the assumable mortgages because you know, unless you have pretty sophisticated software right now, if you're just browsing on Zillow, you're not going to know who has an eligible FHA or VA loan, right? And the second part of it is assisting the parties with the paperwork during that transaction because it is going to be more complicated than the typical real estate deal. And especially, I think, when you consider the fact that Rome has just introduced a closing guarantee to compensate the sellers for the additional time and the complexity that comes with it. We're talking, these are usually several months, right? So when we think about a mortgage loan, let's say a vanilla conforming loan, you know, what, 30 days? To me, I, I think sounds crazy given the amount of technology that we have available, given how many mortgage companies still have adequate numbers of processors and underwriters and it, it shouldn't take that long, but these are more complicated transactions and the servicers, again, part of it is probably just that the servicers don't want to do it, um, but that's that's kind of another matter. So Rome is looking to solve a problem that, again, I, I think could be not easily solved, but it's doable. So many of the the issues we talk about in housing and mortgage seem so protracted, so impossible to untangle because there's no one thing, right? You you talk about the inventory issues and what do you say? Okay, well, the government should just abolish zoning. Okay, sure. You know, anyone can say that, but the practical realities of doing that mean a million political fights. And whenever you get into political fights, it's just, things slow down. It's not, it's just not easy. It's not doable. There's a reason things are the way they are. You know, there's, there's sort of a state of paralysis here. Okay. So why don't we change, let's say we'll do government, uh, you know, government housing, we'll let, let the government build housing. They don't have to do any of the restrictions. They do have that in some places where there is government permitted, um, you know, social housing and it's a disaster. It, it works as well as you might imagine it works. Look at NYCHA. This is the largest public housing um, company, I guess you could call it, in America. And it is probably the most corrupt, literally the most corrupt in America. They just had 70, you know, I think it was inspectors or coordinators who were just picked up on corruption charges the other week. Okay, so let's, let's think about other inventory issues. 
the boomers. They they have all the wealth. They have all the housing. I'm you know exaggerating slightly here, um, but how do we incentivize them for moving? You can do whatever you want. They're not going to do it, right? Because you need other factors. You need okay, maybe you can do ADUs, right? Sure, that's a tiny percentage, right? Even if you allow almost everybody to put an ADU in, and you can't. Um, how much housing does that get you? And over how long? You know, in New York alone, we need to build probably about 500,000 units over the next decade. Even if you allowed the government uh, to help, you know, subsidize or, you know, build it themselves, you probably achieve 10% of that at best. And if you want to incentivize private industry, you need to change almost everything else. And then there are a lot of, I think, reasonable questions about exploitation and about who has the right to that housing, right? So you get into all these very complicated fights that you just, you, you kind of can't see a way out of, at least with something like an assumable mortgage, you have an existing program that does work to some extent, and you have very clear problems that I think theoretically uh, could be eliminated in, in you know, a couple months. And then suddenly if a mortgage lender servicer is thinking, oh, I get $3,500 for this instead of $285, like, yeah, okay, I'll take that. The math maths. I, I think it's also exciting to see, you know, a private company can say, hey, let's solve this problem, right? Like if we can if we can come in and do this, that's easier than going, you know, jumping through all the government hoops. Um, easier in quotes there. <laughs> Not easier for that company, um, but but exciting to see somebody, you know, wanting to solve that and, and coming up with something like that. I'm, I think that's great. I'm here with Jason Bressler, CTO at United Wholesale Mortgage. Jason, how do you envision AI technologies such as Chat UWM shaping the future of the mortgage industry? So AI really, as people should look at it, specifically within the mortgage industry, is all about efficiency, operational efficiency, sales efficiency, information efficiency, everything that you could need to derive a decision or get information should really be used by advanced AI techniques. And listeners, you can find out more about those techniques at uwm.com. So changing a little bit here, changing topic, let's talk about the National Association of Realtors. Wow, you talk about a um, a trade organization that's in some chaos right now. Uh, you know, one we did a story this week looking at their national um, numbers, right? So their annual national numbers and what's happening there. So maybe uh, fill us in on what's happening with their membership. So as 2023 was drawing to a close, the membership numbers at NAR were starting to fall. That only continued to start 2024. And we talked about this, I want to say a month or two ago, Sarah, where we said we really want to start looking closely at the January, February numbers because that's when the dues are due. And um, and that's going to give us, I think, a better indication of how many people want to stick around and how many people think that they're they're going to be doing any business and that it's a worthwhile endeavor for them, especially the part-timers, right? You know, if you're a full-time agent, this is your career, not a side hustle, then you're going to stick around no matter what, I would think. Um, but so let's, let's look at the numbers. So they dropped in January, they fell two and a half percent from December. 
So they end the January at 1.51 million members. And that's down about 2% compared to January of 2022. And it's the third consecutive month of membership declines. And it's now at the lowest level since May of 2021. And, um, you know, I, I think we've seen about, what, 85,000 agents that have washed out between October of 2022 and January of 2024. And, um, you know, it's still well below the drop of about 400,000 agents between 2008 and 2012. And we typically see this in cycles where it's a really bad environment. There's not a lot of money to be made. And so the numbers decline, right? It, it just doesn't make sense that you would have to pay all of your local association fees, your national fees, when you're not going to be reasonably expected to do any business. So that always happens. And then when you saw 2020, right? I mean, everybody and their mom <laughs> became a real estate agent. Like I even considered getting a license, like kind of as a joke, but it, it was just incredible how many people decided to jump in because there was a run on housing, right? And so I think it's so much more about the current environment, the current market, than it is about these more existential crises moments at at the NAR. So yes, they've had a crisis of leadership. They now have a new president, the third one in six months, right? That's not great. Some of the top professional staff have left under, you know, whether it's they were pushed out or left on their own. Regardless, these are seasoned professionals who know the organization, who know the membership, and they have left. Some would see this as as a positive. You know, I think it's probably a double-edged sword there to an extent, right? Um, but you've just had a lot of really important people at the NR leaving. But the average member probably doesn't care that much about that, right? For them, this is about access to the MLS. This is about the likelihood of them being able to get a deal done. And it's less so about the NAR itself. I think this speaks about this speaks to the market. This doesn't say all that much about the NAR. And, and even when you consider some of the top brokerages in the country now no longer require that their members belong to the NAR. And so Redfin, um, all of the brokerages that settled before and after the Sitzer Burnett verdict, they no longer require their members to, you know, sorry, their agents to become members of the NAR or abide by the NAR's code of ethics. But again, this all comes down to the MLSs, right? The local associations. If you don't have access to the MLSs, you are not a real estate agent. You know, like you just, there's no way to do the job. It would be like me being a reporter or editor here at Housing Wire, but James, you can't use the internet. So it's like, yeah, I mean, yes, I, I guess I could, right. Like I could call you and, um, you know, do it old school and have you type out, um, you know, my stories from, from my phone call, right. You could transcribe it in real time. I guess, I mean, it could work, I suppose. I know there are still people at the New York Post who do it that way, which is pretty interesting. Uh, but, you know, it would be really, really, really difficult for me to execute my job. So the reason that people are still, members of the NAR is because they, they want access to the NMLS and that's going to change until the MLS system significantly alters. I think that's a great point. I do think that, you know, most of the people that we're talking about, it's not, they're not leaving because it's like, Oh, I, you know, 
you can't stand the leadership in arts. Like I, I can't make any money. I can't, you know, the, the market is such that, you know, I'm not able to do this. And we know that, I mean, we've seen uh, a significant number of mortgage people have to leave the industry, whether they got laid off or they just have found other things to do because there's just no volume there. So those are related. I mean, you do have uh, more transactions, you know, you could have an all cash transaction that didn't, didn't involve mortgage or whatever, but like, Still, housing in itself is in a crisis right now, so you can understand why people have to leave the industry. I, I think it's funny because uh, I, I saw making the rounds of this article. It's one of those like make it articles on CNBC, like the best professions to get into in 2024. Number two was a mortgage loan officer. Gosh, and, who are they talking? And it's like to? okay, you can make you can make two hundred thousand dollars a year. And you can work remote is what it said. By the way, they said 200000 salary, which that's not at all how it works. 200000 in total compensation, totally. But they don't go even slightly beyond kind of the headline that they get from Indeed or any of the job words that send this information because we know that more than 100,000 LOs have washed out since the peak in 2021. And if you talk to someone who's just getting into mortgage lending, if they don't have an established network or they're part of a team or they're learning the ropes, there is just no way that they're going to survive as a self-gen originator when some really talented, well-resourced LOs who have realtor partners, who have financial advisor partners, who have a pretty solid Rolodex are doing a loan a month, sometimes less, sometimes zero loans you are not going to be able to get into that business and succeed unless you have a tremendous, maybe uh, maybe you're a trust fund baby or something, or you have something else going on and you're just interested, dipping your toes in the water, seeing if this is something you could do in the future. But for right now, you are not going to be able to make it. And so when I see stories like this from CNBC, I, I just, I have to, you know, I face palm, I think like, geez, how, how on earth could someone be this naive knowing that the whole housing market has been on the decline for more than 18 months? And then so you know, on a related note, Lawrence Yoon, the chief economist at the NAR, he, uh, he provided a couple statements and he said, look, you know, the membership figures are holding on much better than the market dynamics would suggest. Existing home sales fell to the lowest level since 1995, nearly 30 years. So inventory of listings is at historic lows, but there's usually an 18 to 24 month lag as some of the realtors are fairly slow to give up their membership. So what he's saying is, you know, unless things markedly improve, we're going to see more declines of realtor members. And I, I, I can't say I disagree. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. 
You know, I was going to make that same point is that, you know, unless you have, unless you're a trust fund baby, unless you have, you know, family resources where you can be living at, you know, with someone else and not paying any bills um, and, or, or whatever, how do you break into either real estate or mortgage right now? Uh, Because it's going to be months before you get a paycheck. And at at the end of the year, you know, just what you've made this year, if you're just starting out, is going to be, is just not going to sustain you in most cases. Obviously, you might have some really well-connected people, but in most cases, like, and that's sad to me because this should not have that sort of bar to entry, barrier to entry for, for people. We already are trying to extend, you know, mortgage and real estate to have, you know, a more diverse number of people who are loan officers and real estate agents so that we can, you know, make sure that we're serving all of the members of the community. And here we are having something that it's like, how are you ever going to make it this year? You know, this year's a tough year. I saw a really good post by a guy named Connor Bartley. He's a recruiter at Loan Depot, and he addressed this very subject a little uh, slightly differently in that, okay, let's say you do want to jump into mortgage origination today. What he suggested, and I'm just paraphrasing because I, I don't have it in front of me, and it was a couple of days ago, but he said, what you want to do, don't go to college. You don't need to do that. What you want to do is you want to study the top originators in your market. You want to be following all the coaches. You want to be reading the housing news resources like like Housing Wire and, and other trade publications. And you want to be studying what everybody does. You want to be an expert in a couple products. And you want to call up, cold call, the very top producers in your area and get whatever entry-level job that you can and just be exposed to as many files as possible. And you want to really develop an understanding and an expertise in a couple products. And within a couple years, I, I think he said two years, you want to strike out on your own. You want to start originating on your own, hopefully at that stage, you have already met a bunch of real estate agents. You have met clients directly. You've probably been, you know, working on files. You've probably done a couple hundred files at that point, if not more, because a lot of these top producers, you know, they're doing, even in a tough environment, doing more than 75 million a year, right? That's the way you would do it. I don't think everyone is cut out for that. Um, you know, probably even a lot of the top producers didn't start that way, but I think it's really smart advice, but you have to be willing to show up before anyone else does. You have to be willing to go home later than anyone else does. You have to sacrifice a couple years, but I bet people who do that do become top LOs in the long run. Absolutely. So much of life and so much in business is just perseverance. I, I worked with a guy at a prior company he wasn't the best writer. He wasn't the smartest guy. I mean, not not a dumb guy by any measure. Uh, average, I think. And he got more scoops than anyone. He was so good. And the reason why is because he's methodical about his process. He would tell someone, hey, I'm going to call you uh, Monday, two weeks from now. And he always did. He never, ever missed that call. He kept in touch. He was solid about basically, you know, mining his CRM, you know, the, the journalistic version of CRM. And he got scoop after scoop after scoop. And he became kind of a legend in, in the space of commercial real estate that he covered. And and now he's, you know, at a, a top publication doing very well. And the reason why he's done well is because he had a system and he worked really, really, really hard at making sure that he was in the right place at the right time whenever someone needed him. And I think that works in a lot of industries. I do too. And, you know, 
Not exactly. And, and, you know, that's what people have to remember is that, you know, especially being, you know, being a loan officer, being a real estate agent, you're in sales and you eat what you kill. And so you've got to be the one who's willing to be out there hunting all the time. Or, you know, I mean, that's where you're going to see a lot of people be like, yeah, I'm, as you always say, your aunt Betty, um, unless of course your aunt Betty, who's a realtor now, you know, just needs one deal a, a year because, you know, she does something else. But if this is your profession, and, and you're not that, you know, hunter kind of person. I don't know how you do it in an environment like this, but I, I love that you brought up the, the loan depot recruiter, recruiter who had all those things. That's, that's a great prescription for someone who actually knows what they're doing. Don't listen to CNBC on this. They do not know what they're talking about. Yeah. Follow Connor Bartley on LinkedIn. He's, he's a really good follow. That's great. Well, James, thanks so much for being on today. I know we have ton, a ton more stories we could talk about. We're almost out of time. Thanks for uh, getting us up to speed. And I know you will be out for a week, so we'll miss you. But when you come back, uh, we'll catch up some more. Yeah, I'll be in Puerto Rico. I'll be in Rincon. So if, if anyone happens to be in Rincon for whatever reason during the same time, hit me up. I could uh, I could grab a, grab a mojito with you or something. That sounds amazing. I hope you have a great time. Thank you again. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you for listening and thank you to our sponsor, Truve. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. We'll see you back here on Monday for more news and insight.